Romans chapter 12, I'll read verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 2 begins with the words, do not be. Do not be. It's a command spoken like you have a choice. Imagine someone saying to you, do not be five foot ten. Do not be blue-eyed. Do not be the child of so-and-so. You think, that's ludicrous. I have no option. Do not tell me not to be those things. I can't not be those things. You have a choice in this matter when it says, do not be. It's up to you now. It's It's optional in a sense. So therefore, if it's optional, then it becomes a matter of obedience or disobedience if you do what comes next. If you read the following part of the verse, it is now up to you to obey or disobey. It's up to you then to please or displease God. That's weighty. Every command in the Bible is about you either pleasing God or displeasing God. Think about that when you read do not or do in the Bible. Right at the start, you see the great importance as we get. So then you must ask, what is it that I am not supposed to do? Do not something. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Or do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Or do not be conformed to the present age. That's the most literal translation, the age. What is conformity? What does that even mean? It's about being shaped by, in this context, the world or the age and its practices. Conformity is going along with trends. And so then that's where you get people who say, well, no, we don't have electricity because that's conforming. That's going with a trend. A trend that is more worldly. It's, it's less like God. It's less like how God created it. So that's worldly, and we're not going to conform. That's a trend we're not getting on board with. And then you have some that are more progressive. You know what? Electricity is not evil. But other things are evil. We're not going to conform. And then you go on and on and on to people who are so-called Christians who embrace every single thing the world embraces. And there's no difference between them. They're not distinct. So then it's really fine line to, tr- to try to weigh this and go, what does it mean to be conformed to the world or this age? Where do we draw the line? Like, is it okay to watch TV or not okay to watch TV? Is it okay to uh, go to the beach or not okay to the, go to the beach? All, all these questions come in to this verse. What does it mean to be conformed to this world, shaped by this world? And what's interesting is we're going to discover that it's, it's all about not just actions like is smoking worldly, is drinking or dancing or wearing pants worldly. It's not about those things. It's about the mind. It's about the mind. It's not about external things. Those things are fruits of your mind. What you think, how you interpret in your mind leads to either conformity 
or transforming. So conforming, then, is being shaped by the world being... The idea here is being pushed into a mold to fit, to look like the very next thing. It's being stamped out in a production line. You look the same as the next thing that looks the same as the next thing. That's this idea of being conformed to the world. Well, how in the world does conformity happen? If the world is so shifting and we are not to be conformed, how does conformity even happen? Like, How do we know that right now... We're all not conformed to the world when we look at ourselves compared to Christians 200 years ago. If they were to fast forward and be able to see what you lived like, they would say, that person's so conformed to the world. Right? 50 years ago, people would say, oh, if your church has a piano and not an organ, you're conformed to the world. 20 years ago, if you got drums, you are conformed to the world. Right? Like, is it just something that is interpreted by our time? What does it mean to be conformed to the world? What's interesting is even people who would say, well, the piano and the guitar are evil in the church, and you've got to be organ. Well, what they don't realize is that the man who, really, who donated organs to the church to really start uh, that whole movement did it on purpose to entertain people and make them uh, view the spectacle of the organ and not the God whom they worship. Carnegie was his name. He literally paid millions to have the most beautiful pipe organs installed in churches all over America so people would adore the music and not the Savior. He did it on purpose. So the organ was worldly, wasn't it? Where is the line? and Where do we determine what is going with the trend that is not appropriate and disobeying this command? How does conformity even happen? Well, it happens with a compromise. One little compromise. Leads to another compromise. Leads to another compromise. Leads to you conforming to something. I'll just, you know what? That's not that big a deal anymore. And that's not that big a deal anymore. And that's not that big a deal anymore. And eventually, you've conformed. You've compromised enough that you conform. And when you're conformed, then you're consumed. Verse 1, we talked about being consumed or spent for God. You're a living sacrifice for God. And he says that as, as the opposing position to Romans 6, which says, you know, don't any longer, don't give your members up. Don't give your body up to the former passions. Or don't use your body, your instruments, your members for instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do that. And in verse 1, it tells us instead, sacrifice yourself, your whole self. Give it fully over to God. There, you will be consumed and used up for God. You're you're consumed by His grace. You're conformed to Him as image because you've compromised on the world and not on God. It's interesting to think how this whole process takes. It starts with one little compromise. The prodigal son thought, you know what? I don't need my family right now. I need my own thing. This is a little bit restrictive. And so I want to have my own way. I'm sick of following the marching orders of my dad. That's just one slight compromise. You know what? I'm a man now. I can call my own shots, the prodigal son said. So he got his inheritance from his father. So he filled his pockets with money. He said, look, it's not that big a deal, dad. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. And he goes to a foreign city. Not that big a deal. And then he works among the city, not that big a deal. And he he lives in the city, not that big a deal. But then the city begins to live in him. It begins to take over who he is. Until eventually, he's consumed. 
he is consumed by everything those people did, so much so that he didn't even recognize himself as a part of his family anymore. And he found himself at the bottom of a pig sty. How, how did that happen? How did, how did he get so consumed? How did he conform to that world? It started with a few slight compromises. A few slight compromises. Thomas Watson, he says, how like the prodigal the soul has become. Our souls have become like this prodigal. He says, choosing rather to converse with swine and feed upon husks than to aspire after communion with the blessed deity. What he's saying is like, our souls are more satisfied in things before us than they are in a relationship with God. We're prodigals in our soul. And it starts with minor little compromises. We are so ingrained by our culture, right? And its practices. It's just part of who we are. It's so hard to be against the practices of the world, the grains of the world, as you live amongst it. It is like you are standing in a stream that is sucking you. And obviously you've got to go against the stream, but how is that even happening? Oftentimes we're not even aware of what's going on and how we're being taken away. Sometimes we don't even think we have a choice. We don't have a choice with the practices we do. We have a choice with what we watch or what we wear or what we do. We may attempt to blame the world. Well, this is all there was at the store to buy. That's all that was on TV. We blame others. There's an external intrusion. It's coming into my life. And that's why I'm a little more worldly than Christians 200 years ago. It's, it's the world's fault. It's the entertainment. It's the TV's fault. It's the clothing store's fault. And we begin to blame external intrusions into our life. We blame an outside source for shaping us while it does impact us. What it's doing is appealing to a worldly heart. It's a worldly heart. So what is it then about this world that we're not to be conformed to? Like, do we have to make our own clothes and all dress the same? What is it about the world or this age that we ought not be conformed to? There are many things. And they all flow from the mind. So the goals of this world. What's the goal of the world? The goal of the age? You only live once. Live life to the full because there's nothing beyond this. You're in charge. If it feels right, do it. The goal of the age. The, the joys of the age. What satisfies, what brings great joy to the age? Gratification of your desires, of your passions, of your lusts. That's what brings joy to the age. The practices, the thoughts, the agendas, the hopes, the religions of the age. Serve yourself. Do whatever feels best for you. Don't submit to someone else. That's what the age says. But in this passage, is there a reason given? It gives us ideas. Verse 1 tells us it's by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, we are meant to consider this verse. We're never supposed to forget the mercies of God. And then the verse ends by talking about the will of God. 
So in light of what God has done, outside of what you enjoy, outside of what you can control, what God has done, and it has been so merciful, and His will, nothing that you can control, nothing that you have a say in. So it's based on the mercy of God and the perfect will of God. It gives the reason as to why we are not to conform to this world, because what God desires is different. It's different. It's distinct from the world. Because what is this world, according to this verse of this present age? The world is the present evil age. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, that is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Like, you know God's telling us this for a hundred reasons, but one of them being your actual satisfaction, your lasting joy. Part of the reason that God has in His perfect plan that you would not be conformed to the world, part of it is that you not be dissatisfied tomorrow and the next day and the next day when when the things of this world, the things that offer you so much, fail. And they mold and they rust and moth destroys them. That is so dissatisfying. Something you've worked so hard for, you, you want to enjoy so much, breaks. You ever had that? Kids have that, right? A toy they love so much, they overwork it, and it, it's broken. It's broken. That's, that's this world. Things that we want to enjoy are, are broken. But the reality is that the Bible tells us we're not of this world. That we were formerly of it. If we are a believer in Christ, you have been transformed. You're now in a new sort of world. You're an ambassador. We are uh, representing another world, another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the, the economy of God. We were formerly of this world, though, and all that it had to do. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in what you once walked, following the course of this world. Listen, when people are following the course of this world... It's not okay. And here's why. It says, when you're following the course of this world, you are following the prince of the power of the air. It's the devil. And this spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. It is a serious thing to be worldly. Conformity is so deadly. It begins with a simple step down a hill to check something out. A slight compromise. And another step down the hill. And another step down the hill. Until now your steps turn into running. And you're barreling down the hill at the speed of a freight train. You can't stop. That's what happens with conformity to the world. Once you start... It is a very slippery slope. So then how do we ever stop this? How how do we even interpret what is worldly 
to me? And what is not worldly? What is, what is of this present evil age and what is not? What can I do? What can I wear? What can I watch? What can I say? What can I think? You ought to run it through a filter. It's called a worldview. We talked about it at the end of Romans chapter 11, this worldview that everything's to the glory of God. That's your filter. How do I know if something is worldly? Is it good for my soul? Is it glorifying to God? Is it good for my soul? Is it glorifying for God? And There's going to be many things where you come up and you won't be able to answer yes or no. Like, is this shirt good for my soul? Or glorifying to God? Well, it's not going to rob God of glory, I don't believe. It's not damaging to my soul. So that's how you begin to weigh things, simple things, like a shirt. It's easier to weigh things like a television show. Is this good for my soul? Is this glorifying to God? That's way easier. (laughs) Images we take in, things we listen to, things we say. Is this good for my soul? Is it glorifying to God? That's the filter you begin to say, is this worldly or not? Because things of this world are never going to be good for your soul or glorifying to God. That's the filter we run it through. We are called to be exiles. God has called us out of this world. But what's amazing is we are still exiles. We're still foreigners. We're in the midst of these foreign lands, these foreign times, things that are not like us and we should not be like them. He calls us to be exiles, but yet distinct, like he did his exiles. When he would take them through different places, he would say, go, but don't be like them. Don't marry their people. Don't enjoy the things they enjoy. Don't be like them. You're an exile. Deuteronomy 18 says, when you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. God warned the Israelites again and again and again not to conform to this world. And what did they do? They just slight compromise. God told them, don't take their spoils. What did they do? Oh, we'll just take a little bit. He said, Didn't, don't take all their women and children, so we just took ten. Don't take all their gold, so we just took one piece of gold. And then eventually one turned into two, turned into three. And one person who was maybe a bit foreign will marry them into our people And then eventually, hey, you know what? Their cousin's really nice. We're going to marry them into our people. And eventually, there was no difference. And they were not distinct from the world. They were God's people, but were they? No one even knew. So that we read account after account after account in the Old Testament of God saying, I told you not to conform to them. Look what what disaster it's brought into your lives. Look, Look at the disconnect that now you and I have. In our relationship, was my relationship of so low value to you that you valued your relationship to them above it? So then he he sends prophets to correct them. Say, just turn from your ways. Like, stop what you're doing. Return to me. And if you don't, I'm I'm going to have to judge you for that. And, And they didn't. They didn't listen. Again and again and again, God in his mercy tried to call his people out to have a restored relationship with him, a good, right relationship with him, and they were conformed to this world through compromise. They didn't obey God. He said, do, and they said, no. He said, do not, and they said, we'll take it. They were not obedient. So 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your 
former ignorance. Like, if you're conformed to these passions that everyone else has, then it's, it's about ignorance, likely. It's about not running through that filter. Like, is this glorifying God or is it good for my soul? It's interesting how he starts with obedience. If you're obedient, you're not going to be ignorant. And you're not going to be conformed. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6. He's talking about his life now in Jesus. And he says, uh, but the world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to the world. What does a crucifixion do but kill? The world has been dead to me. And I am dead to the world. As in, this is not what gives me life. And I don't pour into it to give it life. I don't want to encourage the the trends of the evil age, things that do not glorify God or do not uh, uh, increase the soul. Therefore, go out of their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, 2 Corinthians 6 says. So, So then, does that mean we ought to live in a colony? Go out from them. Don't touch what they're touching. Don't do what they're doing. Ought we to live in colonies? Well, Jesus, when he was praying for us, said in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Like, that's amazing to me, right? So, like, if God wants to to save us, he could, right then, save your soul and have your body die so that you go to be with him. And you don't have to worry about being in the world or compromising or even dealing with the evil one. But Jesus, he says, don't take them out of the world, but while they're in the world, keep them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Guard them from the evil one. He says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And then he says in John 15, if you were of the world, the world loved you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's interesting. Interesting. Why does the world hate you? If you're not of this world, but you're living amongst them, why would they hate you? Is it because you're rude? Is it because you um, are just a snob? Because you think you're better than everyone else? Is that why the world hates you? No, they hate you because you're pointing out the present evil age, and you're refusing to be conformed to it. Saying, that does not glorify God. I won't do it. So you must. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. They hate you for not being conformed to the world. They hate you. But you're not of this world, Jesus says. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? You know, a boat in the water is by design. But water in the boat is a big disaster. We are called to be in the world, but the world's not called to be in us. A boat in the water is by design, but water in the boat is disastrous. You and I are called to be in the world, a boat in water, but not to have water in us, not to have the world in us, filling us, destroying us. What uh, James says about what religion, it's interesting. What religion that pleases God, we normally steer so clear of the word religion uh, because it's toxic, right? Like, oh, don't be religious. I'm not religious. I just have a relationship with Jesus. Well, James tells us that there is a religion that is uh, pure 
and undefiled before God. Like, there's religion that pleases God. It's okay to be religious. And here's how. He says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world, with its practices, its desires, its joys, don't even be stained by it. Don't let that mark your life. What brings you joy? First answer should be Jesus. The world would never say that. So don't be stained by the world. Listen carefully to this warning. In James 4, 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. It's a warning against worldliness. Do not be conformed to the world, Romans 12, 2 says. So what is it to be worldly? Is it about smoking, drinking, dancing, wearing pants, watching TV, using electricity? The list goes on. Depends on what part of the world you're in. Worldliness is not about outward behaviors. And sadly, we forget this. We think that if we can just meet this outward expectation of what it means to be a Christian right now, that we're not worldly. Worldliness has not changed from 1200 to 2010 to 2019, to 2020. Worldliness does not change. It is not something about like what, what goes in with the fashions, or the trends, or what's on TV, or what's not on TV. Worldliness is not something that changes. It is something internal. It's a thought process. It's a worldview. It's secularism. It's what's going on in your mind and what are you valuing most. Those things do not change from Christians 500 years ago till today. The values that you have, the values that they had, ought to be the same. Sadly, and we all know this, right? As, as Christians are normally just like a step above the world in terms of our morals and our standards. Like if we're, at least if we just are a little bit better than the world at these things. But as time has gone on and the morals of the world goes down, so do the moral of Christians. As long as we're just a step above, hey, we're not worldly, right? We're not worldly. Look, we're not like those people. Have you seen what they do? But it's so sad when we just think that that's what worldliness is. And that's what not being conformed to the world is. It's just being a step above, just being a step better than the world. We swear less than the world. We drink less than the world. We wear a little more material than the world. Is that really what worldliness is all about? And about not being conformed to the world. Instead, it's not about having our values formed to be like every other person. What are the values of the age that we ought not to have in our own minds? Well, the values of the age are self-autonomy. Self-autonomy, meaning I call the shots. No one can tell me what to do. That's the value of the age. You can't tell me what to do. The government can't tell me what to do. God certainly cannot tell me what to do. It's my body, my choice, right? Self-autonomy is the value of the age. It feels good to me, that means it's okay. It's me. I call the shots. I don't answer to anybody. I follow my heart. I only live once, and so I'm going to live it to the full. If it feels right, do it. You deserve this. That's the value of the age. All the phrases and ideas of our age are self-focused. Self-focused. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds. 2 Corinthians 4 says, blinded their minds. What are their minds blinded from? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The very thing we ought to treasure and and become like is is blinded. There's there's shields over it when we take the values of the world. Well, don't look at, at Jesus and his perfect standard for your life if you want to live for yourself. Right? If you want to call the shots. Don't don't look to Jesus. So the world blinds us to the beauty of the gospel. There's an excellent passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, which the end of the passage really echoes this whole part in Romans 12 about what it actually looks like to live like a Christian, all the practical uh, know-hows, the steps. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but to live for the will of God. For the time is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they're surprised when you, do not, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead. For this is um, that, uh, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the way the Spirit of God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, did you hear that? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, because the end is coming, and you don't know when, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. These are all reflecting Romans chapter 12, but then it says at the end, in order, you do all of these things, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In there, the the pivotal part is, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Is your minding in control? Is it sober? Or are you intoxicated with things of the world? Are you intoxicated with greed and a passion and whatever it may be? Or are you sober? This passage tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but, but, but be transformed. But is the contrast. Don't be conformed. Like, Obey this command. Do not let the world be in you. Yes, you live here, but don't let it live in you with its passions and its values for self above God. Don't be conformed, but be, be the word, so it's intentional, it's doable. Be transformed. I love it. 
Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Like, can a caterpillar transform itself into a butterfly? No, it's just, it's just a part of the natural process of being a caterpillar. It goes through metamorphosis. So in the same way, it's telling us, like, don't be conformed to the world, but submit yourselves to God. Because there you're going to be transformed. You don't transform yourself. God transforms you. Thanks be to God. Because I don't know about your passions and and your flesh, but do they not long after what we see? What's before our eyes? What everyone else has? That's what Malachi is all about, right? He is groaning that the rich and, and the worldly people are rich and prospering. They seem to be doing well. How does that make sense? Instead, we're supposed to be transformed. While the world tries to squeeze us into its mold, we are then being transformed inwardly to the out. We are constantly pushing back against and fighting the world coming in. The values of the world saying, you know what? You are in charge. Like, even the whole trend of an iPhone it's all about you. You're in control of all things. It's, it's not. You push back. Not, not to say you don't have an iPhone. But the value of, of you being God. You say, I reject that. I reject it again and again by submitting myself to God as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. God, use me. Spend me. I am all yours for all of your service. I'm pushing back. I'm not saying that I'm worth it, or I'm valuable, or I deserve this thing, or I'm in control. I'm rejecting that today. Sometimes that comes by what you're wearing, and what you're watching, and how you spend your money. You reject it by saying, no, I'm not going to spend it on me today. I'm going to spend it on something for the glory of God. There's a missionary who's struggling. I'm going to spend it on them. Not on me. I'm not the most important thing, but God's glory is. It's pushing back, becoming a living sacrifice, offering yourself to be spent for God. Opening your hands, saying, God, give me whatever it takes to transform me. And God, take whatever it takes to transform me. Use me however you will. Submitting to God's perfect plan. Transformation is the work of God, and we thank Him and praise Him for that. Because our impulse is not for God. We still have that sin nature in us, right? We know the good we ought to do, and we don't do it. So we're so thankful that God, by His transforming power, is at work in us. There's this great um, sort of history of humanity uh, by Middletown Bible Church, and it says this, that God said, let us form man in our image. The devil said, I will deform man by sin. The world says, we must conform man to our image. Education says, let us inform man by our knowledge. Society says, well, we will reform man by our culture. But only Christ says, I will transform man by grace. Man, you are being tossed to and fro. There's so many powers at work trying to have you trying to control you, trying to own you, trying to be you. But Christ in grace will transform you. Submit yourself to Him. 
God, I'm so broken and I'm so in the midst of this thing. Like, this is heavy. This is hard. Use me. Transform me. Do what you please with me. Praise God for his grace. That even though we are being pulled and and torn in two at times, God is there daily with his grace, sustaining you, shaping you, molding you. In Colossians 3, uh, Paul says, Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there's something about this knowledge. There's something about the mind. Because here in Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, we are in a mindless society. I, I love it, but I hate it. Because they recognize it now. In the last two years, there's this great buzzword called mindfulness. Everywhere you go, you go to the school, you go to the health center, you go everywhere you go. You look and everyone's promoting mindfulness. Ah, just come into this mindfulness session. What does that even mean? It's because they recognize they are mindless and we live in a mindless world. And so they're going, well, we need to be mindful. Well, what does it mean? Well, they say it just means uh, getting a whole grasp on yourself in this present time and being aware, being self-aware of your feelings and everything that's going on around you. Great. But how do you know that when you're just a part of the whole process? They're aiming at it. They're trying to fix something that's broken. They realize that we are mindless, that we are out there. We can't even capture what we are. So they're trying to fix it. Go to the health center. I guarantee you there is a mindfulness session this week. It's all about mindfulness. What are they trying to fix? They're trying to fix this very problem that, that we are just like mush and we can't even interpret what's going on in our own selves, so let's just look inside. They're trying to fix it, but they, instead of looking upward and outward to God, they look in to the broken. And the broken is not going to fix the broken. They're trying to fix this problem that, that is real. It's a buzzword. Because we are mindlessly living day in and day out. Mindless. We fix our eyes to screens. Mindless. We have no desire to engage our mind when it's time to relax, do we? When uh, we just mindlessly veg, we check out. It's time to relax. I am as guilty as the next person, if not more, guilty of this. How often is it that after a long, exhausting day, you want to relax and disengage by picking up a theology textbook? That sounds relaxing. Or going into a deep study of the omnipotence of God. That sounds like a relaxing evening, doesn't it? Or going to a Bible study. Or going to serve at a a mission. That sounds relaxing, doesn't it? Or reading a book about the Christian life. When you're exhausting, it is much easier to flick on a show or scroll through Facebook. That is mindless. That is mindless. That's what we do. We don't engage our minds. We go from day to day, busy, tired, lazy, disengaged, mindless. That is the present age. And so then we have so many different tools that help us to disengage our mind and to turn it to mush. So much so that most people can't even listen to a sermon for more than 20 minutes. Right? So, so what do some churches do? Ah, well, let's just 
conform. Let's just make a compromise. It's easier for people to listen only 20 minutes or 10 minutes instead of 40. So let's just do it. But then you're beginning to cut out things. Well, it's easier to tell people just to read one Bible verse a day than to read a chapter a day. Let's just do it. We just begin to, oh, let's just make Christianity easy. And that'll go well because, hey, we got a busy life, right? But you see that that is just the present evil age like trying to rob you of something. It robs me of something every day. Man, I'm busy and lazy. And so I disengage. It is easier to do nothing than to read a good book. Or, you know, you might say, well, it's hard. I'm not a good reader. So you just don't read. You don't read the Bible. You don't read good books that are good for your soul and glorifying to God. And so you disengage. You turn on a show. Right? How often are all of us guilty of that? But that, where you begin to see, well, that's the present evil age. It's trying to rob me of something. Trying to rob me of what it means to be transformed to God. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. When your mind is renewed, it says at the end, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. His will is good and acceptable and perfect. Can you discern the will of God? If all you did was watch TV, you never picked up the Bible, could you discern the will of God well? No. It's so vital then that we, we be warned. Like, what is robbing my time of a renewed mind? What is stealing this away from me? What is taking this mind renewal time away? I want to be able to discern God's will for my life. How many, how many countless books are written about, here's how you know God's will for your life, right? It's a question that people probably Google daily. How do I know God's will for my life? If your mind renewed... Where does that take place? How how does that even happen? Where will you know the mind, the the heart, the will of God? The Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. Did you know that? And when He prayed for you, His prayer was about your transformation. He prayed for your transformation. This very thing, that we're not to be conformed to this world, commanded, but we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Jesus prayed for that for you. Do you want to know what he prayed? John 17 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them, transform them in the truth. Your word is truth. How will he keep us? from being conformed to this world. How will He keep us? I love it. He's praying to the Father to keep us from the evil one. To strengthen us, to equip us for this task of not being conformed to this world. How will He keep us? How will He sanctify us, transform us, mold us into His own likeness and His own image? How will He transform us so that we know His heart and His will to act out in our lives better? How will He do it? How will he transform us and mold us so that we can be a more holy and acceptable offering, verse 1 says. Right? We learn to be a holy, a consecrated, set-apart offering to God. To be an acceptable offering to God was to be found in Jesus Christ. Well, how do we then live that way? 
How do we live more holy and live more righteously as we are already declared in Jesus? How do we do it? Jesus prayed that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that comes through the truth. His word is truth. And in the truth, we find the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Wonder how to live your life. Read the word of God. And not just read it once. And not just read it quickly. But eat this book. Take it. Chew on it. Get your nourishment from it. Imagine if every meal you ate just went straight through you. You're going to be malnourished. You're not going to survive. And you're going to be very uncomfortable. The Word of God is something to be chewed on. Take time to slow down. Ask questions of the Bible. Understand, why did God operate this way? How, how is this good for my soul? How is this good for the glory of God? Read the Bible thoughtfully. Not mindlessly. Words on a page. Take in the Word of God because it is there that you will be sanctified. You'll be transformed. Your, your thoughts about God and about His world will be shaped by the Word of truth. If you're struggling thinking that perhaps you are more worldly than you ought to be, it's true. <laughs> you are. I am. We're all more worldly than we ought to be. It's because we are not yet complete. But Jesus is praying for our sanctification. And if we submit to the very means he's given us, the things that he has given us for our sanctification, for our transformation, let's submit to them. First is God's word. Submit to his word. Read it. Know it. Study it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. I read uh, a quote somewhere this week about like, you know, I don't even know what the question was about, but it just struck me like, you know, can you ask a Christian a couple of questions, but the main one that like shocked me um, that you would likely not get an answer for is ask a Christian, what Bible verse are you memorizing right now? And there should be no hesitation, right? There should not be a pause. There should always be something that we're trying to say, God, I need you to implant this in my life because I need it. But how many of us can go, uh, uh, I know some good verses, but we're not intentionally trying to write a word on our heart that God may use it. And so when we think, well, why, you know, why is it so hard to be godly? It's because we're not taking what God has given us, his very word implanted down deep in us to transform us inwardly. Right? So it's hard. Because we're, we're lazy, we're mindless. That's where we have the help of God. We submit ourselves to Him. God, use my mind. Use this time. Use ten minutes in my day. Use my drives. Use my time right before bed. Use my time first thing when I get up. Use my time. Put your word into my heart. God, it is, it is beautiful. It is to be cherished above all things. So help me. We need, we need God's help. Reality is, there, and I've done this in seasons in my life, and it's been so beneficial, and the Holy Spirit still uses it years later. I'll memorize a verse because I'm struggling with something, right? Like if uh, I'm struggling to be um, kind towards a brother or sister in Christ, um, you've got to memorize a verse about you know, loving one another, showing honor to them. Uh, I memorize, let brotherly love continue, which is found in Hebrews. Because I was not being very brotherly and very loving towards another Christian. 
But the Holy Spirit of God uses that in my life when I needed it. Right? What are the verses that you're memorizing? Like, do you even recognize what you're struggling with? Right? What are your current struggles? What are the current things that are tempting you? Where are the areas that you may not be doing as well as you ought to be? The Bible speaks to them. Find it. Chew on it. And memorize it. The Holy Spirit of God is going to transform you by it. It's a beautiful and satisfying thing. As it begins to transform us, then our thinking changes, and so does our our life, right? We ought not worry about smoking, drinking, dancing, what we wear. Don't worry about those things. Because as your thought, as your mind, as your mind is renewed and transformed, all those things flow. It's just fruit of. Okay? So don't worry about the list of do's and don'ts in this world. Worry about being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. It's hard because we realize that we are not doing well at this. This is a well-known verse, right? A coffee cup, coffee cup verse. Lots of people know this verse. Yeah, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. People know that. But do, they, do they know it? Like, Do you know it? If you do, then maybe you're like me and you, you just lost heart. Think, ugh, I'm not doing well to obey that. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, time's ticking on. It says our inner self is being renewed day by day. Submit yourself to God, to His Word day by day. He's at work in you. Just thank Him for it. Just praise Him for it. Submit and, and sacrifice. And praise Him and thank Him with your life. Let's pray. Oh God, you created us to be like you. You made us in your own image after your likeness that we would reflect you on this earth. And God, we know that sin has destroyed that. That we do not reflect you as we ought. We do not bring you glory. We steal it from you and we spit in your face when we sin. And God, we are so, so glad that you made a way to rescue us from that way of life. That you sent your son Jesus to bear our sin to everything we have done wrong. That he would take it upon himself. He would be called a sinner in our place. That our sinful record we put on him, he would pay for it in full. So that his righteousness might be granted to us on our account. God, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you that it is so simple that if we just believe who Christ is, what he has come to do, and now that he lives and he sits interceding for us, God, we're thankful that our Lord and our Savior prayed for us and continues to pray for us. We thank you, God, that you've not left us without the, the way in which we can be sanctified and have our mind renewed. God, it is so easy to go with the flow of life to be wrapped up in self. But God, we're so thankful that your word shows us the God-centeredness of all that you've made. The heavens declare your glory. God, may it be so of our lives. We need your help. We're so thankful for grace. We're so thankful for forgiveness. We're so thankful for tomorrow. God, would you help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.